once were bitter enemies. Now, well, we will see. I'm Michael LaFaver. And I'm Ryan Matlock. We're two theatrical fans of Beyond Gilead. And today we're reviewing 9-6, Much Ado About Something, by Laurie Twitchell. So join us for episode 116 on our return to Gilead. Here's the summary for today's episode. Michael is cast opposite Anna Townsend in the school play, bringing back old memories for both him and Maya Richter. Anna hasn't been featured since episode 66, and immediately I have questions about how she was handled in the past versus how she's handled here, specifically to the fact that she says that she is still harboring bitterness over the way that Maya treated her. And from a surface level scan of the notes from those episodes and the notes where I've taken that she appeared in an episode, I think this kind of works. I don't know if you have thoughts on it, but oh no, they were in the same scene together and she didn't act this way. But because this is this has to be a retcon, there's no way for this to work otherwise. It's not bad as far as retcons go, because the previous episodes, like with Anna on the bus interruptions and Haley says, Michael and I are sitting up front. Anna goes, well, I don't really we weren't supposed to split up groups, right? You could in the retcon interpret that as saying she doesn't want to sit with Michael and Maya because of how Maya treated her. That is sure. an, that is an option and does fit. It doesn't have to fit. It's not the only interpretation. It is not the interpretation because Beth Culp didn't write this episode and didn't write that bitterness between Anna and Maya. However, I think this is okay as far as the timeline goes. What do you think? I I mean I I tend to agree. I think it's okay. all right. I don't I don't have any issues with Anna's character being handled this way so much as like chronologically it works. I think the one weird part is bringing back the character after what? So you said last time was episode 66? 2005. Yes. And and when, when was this episode airing? 2007. That was just two years ago. Okay, so two years later, but 60 episodes. No. 50? Yeah, it's 50. 50 episodes later. Exactly 50 episodes. Which, that's kind of crazy. Like, I, I, I feel like maybe there's some appropriateness to that. But it's also very strange. I remember not remembering who Anna was at first. <laughs> I think I asked Hannah or something and was like, hey, who is this character? Oh, yeah. She was back in episode Possibly. two. Uh, oh, that character. Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Obviously she different She doesn't actress. like Maya. Okay. I, <laughs> I can see that. Okay. That works well. We, we've talked about how John Fornoff respects the source material. I appreciate that Laurie Twitchell respects the source material and goes back to episodes two and three, which are, I think, what we thought were excellent episodes of the series, a great way to start off the series, showing the relationship between Michael, Maya, and Anna, getting us introduced to Michael Morrison and his friends. And with Anna in that one, she goes through a great character arc in learning how to love Maya, somebody who's not the the greatest to love. It was a very memorable episode, and now it's in interesting to see her in a different light and also interesting to see how michael and maya's relationship continues to be wrecked after closer than a sister because laurie twitchell likes girls to have closer friendships than michael and maya unless it's pitched to be romantic (laughs) which annoys me but whatever it's fine remember when michael and maya had a good friendship and now you know how they don't Remember because when I remember when I shipped Michael and Maya? Possibly keep that. Uh, sorry, wrong, wrong wrong ship. Remember when I skipped uh, shipped Michael and Anna, and now I don't anymore. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I don't. I I, I ah. don't. I think well, that's for not the... going to make sense chronologically at all. Because I mean? think I was, in, in a previous episode, I was like, hey, Maya and Michael, I ship it. Well, Michael doesn't, but we'll get to that. And well, now we haven't. Yeah, so it was way back. It was somewhere. I think it was back in season one. Your quote is, I ship Michael and Maya. Michael ships Michael and Anna. That might have even been episodes two or, th- or three, but that's fine. It's okay that we're redoing that because now that I've re-listened to this episode, I don't think I ship Michael and Anna for the specific reason that they are the leads. Don't appreciate. I don't think that leads should be romantically involved, which is ironic considering I'm writing an episode where the leads are romantically involved. What are you doing? It's fine. I, I'm I'm... Telling lessons through the story. No, one of the episodes sure. of Woodgrove that we're planning on writing is one where the two main characters are the leads and exploring the implications of that. Because but it's you a very, just said that you can't do that. I don't. I don't appreciate it. I don't like that it's being encouraged. I'm not encouraging it in my episode. In our episode. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's okay. how that works. Anyway, so yeah, difference here. At the end of the episode. Anna's got some friends who are unnamed who are saying, hey, do you hear that? That's you he's talking about when Michael's up on stage. And they're like, no. And she says, no, no, he's talking about the character. He's not talking about me. And she's and the, her friends say, well, yeah, but we've seen you hanging out together, you know, kind of buddy-buddy. I go, oh, come on. Can't we just have a platonic friendship? But also, I don't mind the ship, just not in the context of you were placed in this scenario together and now you're growing closer as as in this relationship because we haven't really right. seen that from Michael. We we and don't see Haley Michael. Haley doesn't help at all. No, no. It's more Haley I'm not, gets back. I'm not anno- I'm not mad about it. I'm just annoyed. <laughs> well, no, I agree. Haley gets back and the very first thing she does is imply guess who romance. Michael has to fall in love with is what she says. Guess who Michael No, it's not even just that. It's guess who Michael has to fall in love with. Is it I'll play the clip right here. Now, what's the play and and who are you playing? Much to do about nothing and I'm Claudio. Claudio? Uh-huh. Hey, buddy, that's the lead in that show, isn't it? Yeah. And guess who he has to fall in love with? Who? Anna Townsend. What? Anna what? Townsend? Really? Yeah, Anna's playing Hero. Oh, how about that? Now, that's a name we haven't heard around here in a long time. What happened to Anna? Where's she been? What do you mean? She's been right here in Coleran. What? Well, I don't know. You quit talking about her. <clears throat> we didn't see her around the house at all, I guess. Uh, well, something happened between you two? Argument? Uh, something like that? No, I don't think so. I don't know what happened. I feel like a a more significant storyline would have been, let's actually explore the reason that they stopped hanging out, because it seems like a sort of lampshade to have Laurie Twitchell say, no, she's just always been here, and then she just kind of disappeared, and now she's back for no reason. Yay. It's fine. But It's fine. Yeah. Another thing is at the end of the episode, when Maya and Anna are finally talking to each other, They've got a line where they say, well, uh, what happens now after they have their apology? And I think it's either Maya or Anna goes, well, I don't know, on TV, everything stops right after they make up. And then the other one goes, well, TV has writers and we don't. This is the s- I thought that was funny. Well, this, well, at the same time, yeah, but it's so such tongue a- tongue in cheek, but it's, it's, it's a, funny. It's very, I think it's on the nose of the, the fourth wall yes. break right there, but- Tongue-in-cheek the fact, and on the nose. Given the fact that they just go ahead and make small talk afterward, and then the scene fades out anyway, 
maybe it would have been good <laughs> if they just if they just did cut it off right there. I get I get Perhaps. the point, but Lori has done these fourth wall breaks a couple times, and it's starting to get noticeable. But, yeah, you know, I, I agree. Teach his own. It's it's good. Anna returning and Maya having this beef with her. There's also the scene I was like, thinking about clip, picking this for the clip of the day. The scene when Tom is driving Michael and Maya back, and Michael's talking about how fun it's going to be to to play Claudio in the play now that he's had a practice, and then. Maya says something about like having to pretend to be in love with somebody and uh, something being stupid. And Michael goes, wait, what are you talking about? She's like, nothing, nothing. Just just leave me alone. And so what's going on there? Does Maya's frustration make sense? So she's upset that Anna doesn't like her because from Maya's right. perspective, yeah, yeah. she hasn't done anything wrong for a while. Yeah. So I think the scene is just meant to illustrate that Maya's broken up over that and taking it out on Michael. Okay. Because reasons, I suppose. Sure. It's just, yeah. I Like, I get the reason that the scene's there. I think perhaps it is handled in such a way that... I, I guess I'm, as- I'm left asking myself the question, would Maya take her being upset that Anna doesn't like her for very reasonable-ish reasons, would she take that out on Michael rather than talk about it? Maybe. It might be that Anna's perfectly fine talking with you, but she's not with me. And I don't know, especially given the fact that we haven't seen Anna in a while. Well, Or also that Michael's now spending more time with Anna. We see him spending more time with Anna through class and through the science experiments and stuff. More time with Anna than he's spending with Maya. So... I can understand that. My thing is just she lashes out and then just says to be left alone, whereas she was the one who lashed out in the first place, and obviously her problems would be solved if she just allowed it to be talked about. And then moving on in the episode, when we do have the final talking things out scene, it comes after just a couple scenes of Michael saying, hey, what's up with you and Maya? And then a scene where she kind of ignores Maya. And then Michael saying, hey, what's up with you and Maya? And then her talking with Maya. It's, they're, they're very inactive scenes. There are active character moments that are happening, but I guess they're reactive scenes is what, it's what's going on. There's not a lot sure. of progressing the plot. It's just a lot of characters talking. I also feel like the entire, the entire plot is Anna and Maya's conflict. But that doesn't, get, that doesn't seem like it gets set up right off the bat. What seems to be set off set up right off the bat is that Michael's doing a play and he doesn't want to. And they also set up in the very first scene with four characters who we've never seen before saying, oh yeah, Anna Townsend's trying out for that play. And oh yeah, Michael Morrison's on the team, but they're going to have to make him do something creative if he wants to stay on the football team. That's a good setup to put Michael and Anna opposite each other in the cast. And then halfway through, right. Maya gets introduced and the, the whole plot shifts around her. So the consist- right. tonal consistency, especially if you're going to introduce these random characters who we don't even really get names for, it would probably be more effective if the whole plot were foreshadowed there rather than just the Michael and Anna stuff, which, spoiler alert, it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. But also, like, just from a f- three-act structure kind of thing, it's like the first act, they set up something that they're not really even going to pay attention to thematically. Then the second act, they set up something completely different, focus on that, resolve it by the third act, or like at the beginning of the third act, and then the third act resolves both, but the first act's 
thing that got resolved didn't really need to be resolved in the first place. And it's just like, yeah, why, why did we leave my boy Michael hanging like this? What Aww. was his point of being in this episode at all? You know, oh, you know, I said that last. <sighs> you were comparing it to um, closer than a sister. Closer than a sister, which I agree. This did it better than better. closer than a sister. But, still but even Michael's so, like, poor Michael. Aww. He he doesn't get to do things anymore. He's what he is just his has point to try here? to be a he's, mediator and to point out things. He's, that he's the trying to be a mediator, but he doesn't even do that. Well, what he does is he quotes random Bible verses at Anna, and she quotes them back to him, and that's character development because reasons. No. Right? No. Oh. No. It would be character development if... Okay. Eventually, Maya and Anna just get their stuff worked out together. Together. Because Michael, Michael was... Have a... Because Michael says some Bible verses passively and Maya kind of ignores him? Well, that's that's brought up when Michael, when Maya and Anna talk and Maya says something or she says a verse and Anna says, yeah, yeah, Michael was talking about that, talking about that with me too. So maybe you could say Michael had an impact on them making things up? Maybe? I guess... That's what the episode's trying to tell us. I Maybe. So here's where I feel... I'll put it in terms of screen time. And what Michael does. So first, Michael wants to play football, as he has always wanted to do, or whatever sport it is. And you hear him going, and, oh, 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 in the background. It's really funny. Yeah, that is funny. But I, I'm even just confused about the school. Like, what is this school where the, the guys on the foot, the guys on the elective sport team are not doing well scholastically, and so the Instead of, hey guys, if you don't keep over a C average, you can't play, they say, okay, get side tutoring, and also, you have to be in a play, because the the theater department doesn't have enough volunteers, and so it has to turn to the people most likely to not want to do this, and force <laughs> them to do it. What what kind of school is this that forces people to do electives? Uh, maybe it was the only elective that they normal? could do? This is, well, I don't know how high schools work. I know how college works, but I don't know how high school works. Well, see, they wouldn't be doing this unless this very specific circumstance and deal was struck between the theater department and the sports department. Right. Which is, hey, you know, I've got a bunch of students who are kind of flunking English, and you don't have enough people for your theater group. What if we force the kids to do something they don't want to do? Yeah. Because they don't need to use that time that they would be using in the theater for fixing their English grade or anything. I'll admit, it's a bit strange, but if the school were to do this, it would make sense how they go about implementing it. But then again, if this doesn't happen, then the plot doesn't happen because Michael isn't in a place where he can be around Anna and be talking with her about her relationship with Maya. So it is a bit clunky. I mean, I disagree. I think there's a lot of really easy ways you could get those three together. I know, yeah. Like, they go on a class field trip, and then they get randomly paired into a group of three to work on something or to be in a group together. Or, Or, if you still wanted to have the theater thing, have it be that Michael realizes that Anna's gonna be in the theater program, and he's like, oh, Anna, I haven't seen you in a while. You look insanely attractive now, and then want to try out for the... <laughs> and then want to try out for the play. I'm expecting that. 
or that i guess that that is i mean that's you want to make what, a nice love triangle thing sure that's, what we are, that's already what we have yeah, do we that's basically no, we what, have a bunch of people implying it and no one acting on it yeah so this would actually cement that is that a good thing i guess i don't know michael's what 15 maybe i shouldn't be shipping it with people anyway but even so it's like if you separate the theater from the entire thing i feel like it's pretty plug and play anna and Maya are forced into a similar space in front of Michael. He notices that they don't seem to see eye to eye for some reason. So he, he talks with that. he talks with Anna a lot, and then all of a sudden, yeah. And then he realizes, oh, this is a place for peacemaking. And then he tries to peacemake, and they peacemake, and it's over. That's a two X structure. It, sh- well, okay. So let's <laughs> say maybe he tries to peacemake, and it takes more effort than just a one conversation. And well, no, no, I'm, I thought it, you were analyzing this episode, but yes, that is the basic structure of another episode we could write. Sure. But so, yeah, so it's a two act structure in this episode. Yeah. You could have an episode where it's three act and fleshed out a bit more if you didn't spend so many art scenes in love with theater. I don't know, like, maybe this is just something that Lori Twitchell wanted to communicate to the audience like, hey, theater's great and you should try it out, kids. It feels kind of propaganda-y. Well, there, there's that entirely pointless scene where we don't even have any main characters and a teacher just talking about Shakespeare and reading Shakespeare. Yeah. And random things about men playing women in Shakespeare. And then three scenes into the episode, we actually get Michael Morrison. I'll say more about Shakespeare. I love how at the end they imply, or like one of them actually says like, hey, you should try out for the next Shakespeare thing they're doing. They're doing Taming of the Shrew. You should int- You should go to that. Taming of the Shrew is not a not a clean thing. <laughs> they're, they're doing something that's based on Taming of the Shrew. And then at the end, Zach's like, I need I'm looking forward to that next musical they're doing. And I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> you, you, you're looking forward to Taming of the Shrew? <laughs> Have you seen Taming of the Shrew? Do you know the content of Taming of the Shrew? Zach, what is this episode? <laughs> When you do a theater episode, you have to be very careful about how much of the show you put into the episode and let the audience see. That's what I'm trying with our episode. I'm actually showing a bunch of different scenarios in which the characters are interacting and doing scenes. I, I'm trying to make it genuinely interesting. And then here, we get a, a fair bit. It's Shakespeare. It's fine. But then there's a lot of it that's just them in between scenes. So it's okay as far as that goes. Then there's a curtain call where they're, ta- they're talking all throughout the curtain call and like getting ready for the curtain call and stuff, which is an excuse to say, yeah, it's the end of opening night and or the end of the, I guess, maybe the closing night even. But it's all very theater episode tropey, and I don't mind it. I just wish we'd had a, a stronger emotional plot with the main characters behind it. Agreed. Yeah. Because they're crafting the plot, they don't take the time to create a theologically rich under undertone of thematic elements and focus and there's a lot to that that is very valuable and this is nothing against john fornoff or laurie twitchell's writing i think that when you're focused on plot you can have really interesting plots and sometimes you can have kind of plots that people just kind of don't care for it's that theological undertone that is the rich meat that I think a lot of people are longing for in a piece like this because it's good solid truth that makes whatever lesson the characters are learning 
all the more valuable. There's no conversation where they extrapolate a message from verses. They just keep saying verses back and forth at each other, which is fine. That's kind of all I have to say about it. I don't, I don't want to rig, rip on Lloyd Twitchell's writing too much. It's just... We're, I think I'm just kind of meh on this yeah. one. It's not that it's not like a heart of the treasure where I'm absolutely obliterating the plot because it's broken beyond repair. And it's not like unfinished business where I am praising the deep spiritual applications of the episode for how good it is. It's just kind of in the middle. Yeah, it's fine. I just think there was so much more that could have been done with it. I agree. Let's go to the wraps. <laughs> Hey, Michael and Ryan, I just wanted to give you a few thoughts on the hope that heals. I was actually really surprised how much you all like this episode, because I think there are several problems with this episode. One is the fact that this is a special, and that means this episode is not played in chronological order. Also, I don't think it's much of an Easter special like it was with Dress for Sacrifice. Well, Austin's message was a bit long, so I'm going to pause it here. Are you cool with that, Ryan? Sure. Austin's actually being kind of negative on an episode. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> first response to the airing thing is I, I know there are people who listen to DGL on the radio, but I n- never did. I only heard one episode of Red Rock on the radio, and then for DGL, I bought all the CDs, which I think would be the way that you should listen to it. Also, uh, I think the whole Easter special thing was mostly an excuse to have an episode that aired at Easter time in 2007. I pretty much completely agree with Austin on this <laughs> one, I'd say. Like, it's not as big of an issue for me as well, because I also listen to it via MP3, though I think, I think I've told this story before on the podcast. Yeah, maybe you have. You, you told the story. I know what you're going to I would about. feel maybe a bit privileged to be like, the only possible way to listen to Down Gilead Lane is to buy everything <laughs> but also give you many keys for kids you, they deserve it. you peasants listening to the radio <laughs> i'm done no <laughs> i also felt there wasn't a consistent theme throughout the episode also i think the idea for them to adopt hope was a little too sudden i felt like maybe they could have the conversation at the end of this episode and a future episode anyway that's my thoughts bye Oh, thanks, Austin. I, I I do tend to agree with him. I think you can objectively say this episode has all these problems, but still, subjectively, I really like where it went, and that's that's fine. I think the reason, Austin, that I didn't have a problem with it being kind of lax on the theme, it kind of goes back to the title of the episode, which is The Hope That Heals. Yes. We get to see the redeeming qualities of God displayed in the way everything works out. Yeah, that, that makes sense. All right, this has been a long feedback segment. We got to wrap this up. Okay. Ryan, I've been waiting all episode to talk about this. I'll, I'll say at the end here, just a little thing. Uh, we do get some more episodes with Anna Townsend in the future, just, just a, a couple, and I, maybe we'll be in a, a different place mentally to review those if you guys had any emotionally physically physically spiritually yeah hopefully physically if you guys out in the audience really like this episode please let us know ryan you gotta let me do it this time where can they go to leave these voice messages (laughs) so what you're gonna do is you're gonna go to your nintendo switch you're gonna go (laughs) to the internet settings change the dns settings to manual you're gonna set your dns 
to 45.55.112.11. Then when you connect to the internet, it's going to ask you to put in a password. But instead of putting in a password, it's going to open up Google. Then the, at that Google search, you're going to type in Return to Gilead, and that's going to take you to returntogilead.com, where you can see all the information about our website on the go on your Nintendo Switch. I was really confused for a second. I thought you were giving them information for the back end of your website. No, I wouldn't do that. Next time, we're going to be reviewing <laughs> 9-7, The Locked Door, returning to John Fornoff and his uh, little subtle surprise two-parter that he snuck into Season 9. Really excited to talk about that one. In the meantime, I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you all next time as we once again return to Gilead. <laughs>